All right, and we are rolling. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the very first episode of the Lapping the Field podcast. I am your host, Eric Beck. I will be with you for the duration of however long this podcast does survive, which hopefully will be at least a semi-extended period of time. Today, we will be talking about a Phoenix recap going back over this race that happened this past Sunday. We're also going to be talking about five races so far this season and five different winners. Also, should a certain top-tier team be a bit concerned with some results that they've been seeing early on this season? But first, I want to address the elephant in the room, which apparently is just me down here in what those of you watching on YouTube will be able to tell is my basement. That is right, my quote-unquote recording studio is just the basement in the house that I'm living in because uh, you do what you got to do to get where you got to go, as I tell myself often and so, so, so often over the past few years. But I uh, want to touch a little bit on uh, just acknowledging, I guess, that we are here five races into the season and just starting the podcast. I guess I didn't really have the idea to actually start doing this until uh, within the last week or so. So here we are. But as such, since we are five races into the season... I do want to touch on a little bit of my thoughts, a quick review of the first four races that we've seen so far. Also, just uh, a quick note here. I think I may have written this down in my notes to talk about later. To talk about later, excuse me. But this will be a bit of a focus on the Cup Series throughout the uh, throughout the duration of the podcast. Uh, there will be times that we'll be touching on different things, the Xfinity Series, the Truck Series, but we will be sticking to the three premier series in NASCAR. That is uh, most of what I know about, and the cup is what's available on TV for the most part. Another thing that I will address here, since it just uh, just happened above me, since I am in the basement, we got some squeaky floors in this old house, going to be hearing some noise throughout the different podcasts, different people walking around, going up and down stairs, going to hear the dog tippy-tapping on the wood floor upstairs. So get used to that, I suppose, uh, at least for the near and probably distant future anyways moving right along go ahead and talk about these first four races here let's go ahead and talk about daytona uh only have about a paragraph written about each of these things so not going to touch too long too extensive on these different races because my memory is not as good as maybe it used to be and the uh the daytona race to be quite honest was not terribly memorable for me uh, t- two big things that came out of the, well, actually three big things, I guess. Number one, crash on lap 14, takes out half the field. Not the greatest move in the world. I understand that it looks like rain is coming, and sure enough, rain did come in on the immediate, immediate following lap. That is not easy to say, and probably not the best way to say that. Lap 14, a crash, lap 15, rain. That's what, <laughs> that's what happened. So... The issue with the crash on lap 14, as I think many people have commented on already, is that it came down to what resulted, in my opinion, to be a rather boring end to the race from that last pit stop all the way way until the crash on the final lap. You had guys just running single file. There weren't a whole lot of people who were trying to get down, make that too wide, try and make something interesting happen, try and challenge for the lead earlier than the last lap. Uh, it has been speculated upon that 
Maybe if you have fewer than 20 cars wrecking on lap 14, maybe you have more people around at the end of the race. Try and do something else. Try and make other things happen. As it was, when you saw guys stepping out of line, you would maybe have a car or two who would go along with them, but they'd end up just getting uh, hung out to dry, drop into the back of that lead pack, and that, uh, I just, I'm not a fan of the single file stuff. I understand that we've had a bunch of different, uh, different packages, different setups, different sorts of racing that in, at Daytona in the last 20 years since I've been watching, but this is not my favorite, to be sure. With that said, there were certainly fireworks there in that la with that la last crash. Got two teammates wrecking each other, Joey Logano, Brad Keselowski, and allowing Michael McDowell, first-time winner here in the Cup Series. Spent, uh, spent a long time trekking for that first win, sort of uh, shades of some other first-time winners there at uh, Daytona, and doing it for a, uh, a smaller team, not one of the sort of the leader leaders in the, in the garage there with the front row racing. And we will be talking as the podcast goes along, not today, but in future podcasts about some of the smaller teams and uh, trying to be in competition with those larger teams that maybe have a little more money, fewer, a few more resources to pump into the teams and try and help those cars go a bit faster, a bit more consistently. The last thing I want to touch on with Daytona was the uh, the rain delay itself. I, w I myself was a bit surprised that NASCAR was able to get this in all on Sunday. It certainly looked like they were down to the wire there of whether they were able gonna be going to be able to restart there on Sunday night or they were going to have to wait until Monday morning. And I think they were probably within like 15 minutes or so being able to get that track, uh, track dried off and get ready to go for uh, finishing that race late at night. Uh, We'll touch on weather things uh, more in the future. Right now, I want to keep moving through these first four races, but I do have some opinions about the way NASCAR handles their scheduling and the way they deal with weather delays. So moving right along here, uh, race number two, they stayed in Daytona, reconfigured the track, ran on the Daytona road course. And Daytona road course, I got to tell you, those NASCAR guys driving on the road course, it looks a lot like me driving in a car on Forza 2 on Xbox 360 back in the day. I mean, I wouldn't necessarily describe the racing as elegant, quote-unquote elegant, if you will, but it is certainly fun to watch, watching guys drive through the grass, trying to take up whatever source, whatever uh, whatever space is available on and off track. Uh, I didn't know that uh, we were doing off-roading this year, but it is, uh, like I said, fun to watch. I personally am very excited for more road courses this year. I've been one who has always hoped and dreamed, if you will, for more road courses added to the schedule. Since for the majority of my NASCAR viewing experience, it was just two here, racing out at Sonoma in California and then up there at Watkins Glen. And then uh, just recently adding on the Roval race in, uh, in Charlotte, Charlotte Motor Speedway. So we've been trucking along mostly two, occasionally three road course races, and now looking at seven road course races. I do have opinions that will uh, come up further in the season about some of the races that have been substituted for, some of the places they are going, but count me in on more road courses. Just a different experience and certainly fun to watch, in my opinion. So we had a second first-time winner in the second race of the year, Christopher Bell winning his first race, the young guy. A little different situation with from uh, Michael McDowell winning the Daytona 500, but Christopher Bell making that pass uh, there at the end of the race and paired up with another first-time winner for JGR in the Xfinity Series with Ty Gibbs 
getting his first win and his first start in the Xfinity series. So JGR had a pretty good weekend in terms of uh, race victories at Daytona the second time around, uh, running there on the road course. Actually, personal uh, personal uh, point of, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know what this would be. Uh, what I am trying to say is that I saw Ty Gibbs race at Elko Speedway in uh, Elko, Minnesota, just down the road from me. Uh, gosh, is this a year or two ago now? Pre-COVID, 2019, I think it was. Maybe 2018. In any case, saw Ty Gibbs race, got to see him race. Uh, I don't know if he's running for JGR. That's in the Arkham Menard series. It was the uh, Menards 150 or something like that. 150 laps at a 3 eighths mile paved oval. Went down there to see uh, Haley Deegan race in that race. And uh, Ty Gibbs was there as well. And if you look, go to my Twitter page and look at the the, uh, the header photo on there, you will see a picture from that race, and you will see that Ty Gibbs' car is not uh, pictured, sticking uh, right behind my face instead. It's just the way that laid out. So yeah, that's the uh, that's that's a. Uh, touching on the road course i guess not a whole ton of opinions not a whole lot of memory sticking out for me other than what i've already discussed from that race moving right along third race of the year homestead miami again you got some guys in there who are who are not typically running up front who are making some noise you got chris chris busher winning uh winning a stage there you had tyler reddick finishing second to a second time winner this time in william byron not his first win but his second win uh Personally, I was hoping that Reddick would be able to close in and make that a race for the for the lead right there at the end of the race. If you're giving them five more laps, it maybe works. Just Reddick wasn't having his car come to him just quite as soon as he would have liked in order to challenge for that. But there was some pretty good racing there for uh, the second, third, fourth positions with Reddick just having a car that would have seemed to outclass the field as uh, as the long long run ran on there towards the end of that race. And I believe that is all I have for Homestead, Miami. Moving on then to Las Vegas, fourth race of the year. Cookie cutter track, mile and a half track. One of the few tracks that I've actually been to and attended a race. Although that is, of course, like 15, 16 years ago now. Long time ago. But you're looking at the, the Las Vegas race there. And you're seeing Kyle Larson get his first win of the season, his first win back after a nearly season-long suspension for uh, some issues there last year that we will, I am sure, eventually discuss in a future episode. But Larson working out very well for Hendricks so far. Looks like a great move, a great uh, plug-and-play, as I've seen it described, move instead of trying to find a younger guy, which Hendrick has done and sort of had to develop a couple of guys there with Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, William Byron. Those three younger guys who were coming in replacing some veterans. Instead, you have a, uh, I guess you'd say pseudo veteran, a veteran nonetheless, Kyle Larson, who's been in the been in the Cup Series for at least a little bit of time and has had a bit of success there, showing some uh, some some push there. I don't know. I don't remember if he would say that it was a dominant victory at Las Vegas, but he certainly seemed to have the car to beat as the race wore on in Vegas, and all of that is the uh, the brief recap, all the things I want to touch on here, all the things that we have missed here, missing the first four races of the year before getting this podcast up off the ground. Hey everyone, this is the point in most podcasts where you would maybe expect to hear an ad read, a Patreon plug, or something of that nature. 
While that may be something that ends up being integrated into this podcast in the future, I'm more concerned at the moment with getting this podcast up and running. So, no ads, no Patreon, but if you do want to find out more about this podcast or any other project I'm involved in, head over to ericbeckmedia.com. That's ericbeckmedia, all one word, dot com. Now back to the show. So as we come back here after that break, I uh, I have this thing with this water bottle. This thing will make noise if you uh, take a drink from it. It's one of those uh, the, the squeeze bottles. So what I'll do sometimes is I will just unscrew the cap just ever so slightly to try and uh, get the air pockets out of there, whatever the issues are. Sometimes I will forget that I have done that and then spill water all over myself. So we're going into part two here, a little wet, but <laughs> but we will move right along. Uh, for those of you on audio listening to the podcast episodes, that will uh, that will be more of an audio cue, I guess. You'll have to go over and watch the YouTube video to check that one out. But moving right along. To the race that just happened here this past Sunday down there in Phoenix, Arizona at Phoenix Raceway. I don't know where I was for the last 20 years, but in my mind, that was a mile and a half track, and Phoenix is a one-mile track. I found this out this past Sunday, which makes no sense because the race is billed as the uh, fill-in-the-sponsor 500, and it is a 500-kilometer build race. It is 312 miles long, and... I don't know why that's it's been that way forever and I don't know why I didn't realize that until just this past Sunday so I don't know I guess you learn something new every day um other thoughts there was some uh some noticeability I guess is the word I'm going to use here of uh teams at Homestead and Las Vegas some of the top tier teams kind of coming back into the fold having good showings having better showings than maybe the first two weeks of the year but this is the uh, the first race where it certainly seemed to be the most obvious that um, I think as I heard some of the guys from NBC describe that the drivers were there to drive. The drivers were having to drive their cars, maybe a little put a little more effort into the driving piece of it than any other uh, track that we've been to so far, which is an interesting and maybe weird thing to say. And certainly the NBC guys who have the experience actually being in the car were able to describe that a little better than me. But uh you're seeing the guys who are maybe the more of the wheelmen, some of the more experienced veterans uh, having a little better weekends or a little better races, that is. Uh, and to, to uh, describe that, maybe look at that a little more closely. Let's take a look here at the top 10 finishers in Phoenix. Uh, if you are watching on YouTube, we'll try and, we'll try and uh, get something up there on the screen so you can look along instead of just having to listen to me talk about it. Those of you on the podcast side, I'm sorry, but uh, you're going to have to listen to my voice a little bit longer. So, top 10 here in Phoenix. Number one, Martin Truex Jr. Second, Joey Logano. Third, Denny Hamlin. Fourth, Brad Keselowski. Fifth, Chase Elliott. Sixth, Kevin Harvick. Seventh, Kyle Larson. Eighth, William Byron. Nine, Christopher Bell. And ten, Ryan Blaney. I think we have representatives from what I would describe as the top four teams in the top 10 here. So we've got... JGR finishing three of them in the top 10. Penske Racing, you got uh, all three of those cars up there in the top 10. Hendrick, you've got Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, William Byron, another three cars up there in the top 10. And then Kevin Harvick from Stuart Haas rounding out with uh, the 10th, well, 6th, but the 10th spot in terms of what we're describing here. 
So you're seeing those guys get back up to the front. Um, some notable absences there. You're definitely seeing um, Kyle Busch being one of those in particular. This is a thing that's been discussed at length in the NASCAR world over the last uh, four or five races here during this season and a little bit last year too. Uh, Kyle Busch finishing 25th this weekend after uh, not being able to overcome some issues, some pit road issues, some uh, crash wreck related issues, getting into it with the 42 there during the race and taking some damage there. The Kyle Busch thing is interesting to me, not just because of uh, the issues this year, some of the issues that were noted last year during the uh, the COVID stuff, the uh, COVID experience of racing, if you will, and him not being able to get to victory lane until the playoffs. But uh, it's been a thing, I think, and it was a thing, the uh, the year of his second championship. I believe that's two years ago now. You saw him as one of the big three there that season, but it really seemed like a lot of his success was a lot earlier on in the season that year. And then he it just kind of seemed like he was hanging around, banking or using what he banked on that success earlier in the season to get himself into the Final Four and then to ultimately win the championship. So that's not to say that Kyle Busch doesn't know what he was doing or didn't know what he was doing that season. It is to say that it is notable or it was noticeable to me that he maybe wasn't doing as well for the entire length of the season, the entire duration of that season. And now we're seeing a little bit more here, him having struggles last year and now having some more struggles going into this season, especially when you consider the other three JGR cars who were up there in the top 10, top nine even. So there's some questions there about Kyle Busch. It is a little early in the season, so I guess we'll see what, what happens there. Something I heard Larry McReynolds say earlier this week, either whether it was on Sunday or uh, later on, something I saw a clip later. He was describing how Kyle Busch is probably one of the people who is most missing qualifying and practice sessions. That maybe Kyle Busch is a guy who is so good at knowing what his car needs that building up, building up those reps, those laps in practice sessions really helps, <clears throat> excuse me, helps him to build up what he knows he needs in the car in order to succeed on Sundays. And maybe with this whole not having a, a lot of races with practice sessions, basically none last season, and limited practice coming up this season, maybe that is affecting Kyle Busch more than has been seen in the past with him. Now, that said, we do know that Kyle Busch is one of the best drivers that we've ever seen for those of him who may or may not like Kyle Busch as a, uh, as a fan. It is... You, you can't help but ar you can't argue that he is one of the best drivers we've seen in the sport. And so I would say it is probably likely, especially since he is still, what is he, like in his mid-30s, he still has plenty of time to get back on the horse, if you will, and uh, get back to his winning ways. But it certainly seems like it's going to maybe be a little harder this season than it has been in the past. Let's take a look here. Other things. That happened this weekend. To continue on with the JGR theme, got the uh, the winner of the race there, Martin Truex Jr., passing Joey Logano on that last restart. And part of the reason why those of you on YouTube will see me wearing the uh, the old school '78 Martin Truex Jr. hat, the uh, the stocking cap, even though it is spring, spring is coming. It is still rather chilly in the basement since I'm up here in Minnesota, and. Uh, we had freaking snow again this week, so rocking the uh, stocking cap and keeping warm down here in my basement recording studio. 
Uh, Truex, Truex, I'll touch on this. Truex isn't necessarily my guy, as it were, going, uh, going here into the future. But I did live in Denver when Truex was running for Furniture Row. Decided to start cheering for him just as sort of a hometown team. The only team there west of the Mississippi at the time. And, well, he, of course, has now moved on to JGR and is back on the East Coast. But I did start cheering for him before he won the championship. It was it was before that season, but it was before the season. So for those who need to know, or maybe just for me, putting myself out there to make myself feel better, I was there before there was a bandwagon to be jumped upon. So, <laughs> like it matters. <laughs> Anyways, Truex getting the win there, passing Logano, like I said, on that final restart. Really, I to me, it was the most impressive restart from a driver this past Sunday was that Truex restart. It's... From what I remember, the uh, the outside groove wasn't working as well. Outside groove. Everyone on every restart, it seems like, was down below the yellow line on the apron. I don't know if you can call that a groove, but that sort of just is the way it is racing at Phoenix now. But he definitely was able to hang on there on the outside a lot better and get that drive off of one and two to pull ahead of Logano right away on that first lap after the restart. And it was... Uh, off to the races from there you weren't catching him until the only way you were catching him is if there was a caution coming out and that did not happen and Truex punches his ticket to the playoffs making him the fifth of fifth different driver to win in five races here this season we'll uh touch on that here in a minute let me just make sure I don't have any other things I wanted to say and it looks like I have no other things to say other than talking about these five different winners punching their tickets to the playoffs. There has been speculation this season now that we have five different drivers who have won. Three of them, maybe not your typical guys you would have expected to win, at least not this soon in the case of Christopher Bell or maybe even William Byron. But you've got five guys there, and the questions have been, Will this be the first season when we have 16 or more winners and maybe you're going to see guys win a race and not make the playoffs? I'm going to partially agree with Steve Letarte here. Steve Letarte is pretty staunchly anti the idea that there will be more than 16 winners this season pre-playoffs. Uh, pre I tend to agree. I think it's mathematically unlikely. That said, it is still statistically possible, especially especially since we've had five different winners this season and heading into Atlanta next weekend. Who knows what's going to happen there? Again, it's another cookie-cutter track that we'll be going to, but we'll discuss that race here a little bit uh, later in the podcast. Uh, but if we're going to take a look here at the standings, now that we've got the, the five winners, I'm going to touch here on a bit of a, a pet peeve with the way standings are listed. Some places have it where you've got the drivers listed by points, and some places have it where you've got the winners up at the top listed by points, and then everyone who hasn't won below that. That's the rate, or that's the, uh, got some feedback coming here in my headphones, but that's the, the system that I'm going to be using moving forward whenever I talk about the standings here on the podcast. We're going to use the winners up at the top of the bracket or at the top of the standings, and then everyone who hasn't won below that, and that's going to be the point system we're looking at or the, uh, the standings system we're looking at. So looking at it with the top five drivers who have already won, you got Martin Truex Jr., Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, William Byron, and Michael McDowell. 
And then below that, uh, we'll go 6 through 16 here, I guess. Why not? Uh, sixth, top of the points if there were no uh, wins involved. You got Denny Hamlin, followed by Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Chase Elliott, Kevin Harvick, Kurt Busch, Austin Dillon, Ryan Blaney, Ryan Priest, Kyle Busch, and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. If the season ended today, which it very nearly did last year, <laughs> this is your uh, this is your playoff field. So, looking at that list, we're gonna go from talking about these uh these maybe likely winners or what might happen with winners here in the future this season to talking about this question I teased at the top of the show. There is a team, a top level team which early on seems to have been having some performance issues compared to the other top teams. If we want to go back to the standings list here, you can kind of take a look maybe and see what I'm talking about. So if you want to, I mean, Michael McDowell being up in fifth, that's a result of his victory, but he is not racing for one of those top-tier teams like I talked about earlier. Top-tier teams for me, you've got... Joe Gibbs Racing, which currently has all four of its drivers, uh, just barely with Kyle Busch, but all four of its drivers in the playoffs right now. You've got uh, Hendrick, who it also looks like has, actually only has three of his drivers in the top uh, 16 right now, with uh, Larson, Byron, and Chase Elliott, Alex Bowman, me, and the first guy out of the playoffs. Then you've got Penske, who has all three of his drivers up there, doing pretty well for themselves. And then we move to Stuart Haas Racing. Stuart Haas Racing here seems to be having at least some early struggles. The reason I say that, number one, if you look at this uh, the standings list, they only have one driver here in the playoffs right now, Kevin Harvick, sitting there at 10th. Other than that, you've got Cole Custer down here at 20th. Who else we got down here? Chase Briscoe in 25th, Eric Almarola at 26th. So you've got three of your drivers out of the top 16 uh, currently at the moment, very early on, but at the moment not challenging really to make their way into the playoffs. And if we look at, uh, go back to the Las Vegas results. Las Vegas, I was watching during this race, looking at the top 10 as it was scroll or as it was shown on TV there. And it's like, huh, we got the Penske guys up there, we got the Hendrick guys up there, got the JGR guys up there, got uh, some of these smaller teams challenging for a top 10 spot. Where is Stuart Haas? Where is Stuart Haas? All day, where is Stuart Haas? And it was like they just did not have the speed at Las Vegas to make an impact really at all. And that shows in the results. Kevin Harvick in 20th, Chase Briscoe 21st, Cole Custer 25th, and then Eric Almarola down there finishing in 38th. Now, to Eric Almarola's defense, there was a wreck involved there. But based on where the other teams finished from Stuart Haas, it doesn't look like you're going to be challenging for really much of anything in terms of a good result from any of those teams at Las Vegas. There are some similarities here in Phoenix that we just saw this past weekend, but it was a bit better. You see Harvick there in 6th this weekend. Eric Almarola recovering and finishing 11th. But then if we scroll down here, we got Chase Briscoe there in 22nd. Where's, uh, I was looking at this earlier. Where's their last guy? Cole Custer, where are you at? Cole Custer, there you are, 31st. See, having trouble finding him even. 
Cole Custer down there in 31st. Now, the question here is, should Stuart Haas be concerned right now with the way they've been finishing? And the answer, I think, is yes, but. I don't think, since we're only five races into this season, that it's time to start sounding alarm bells for what is happening right now. I do think there is uh, a point right now for maybe having some healthy concern with what's happening. Two thoughts on this. First, you've got it's Stuart Haas. You have one established driver in Kevin Harvick. You have one semi-established driver in Eric Almarola. He is Al Almarola is a veteran, but he's not necessarily a veteran who's going to be challenging for wins. He's he's not necessarily up at that upper level of driver. Uh, and it doesn't really seem at this point in his career that maybe he is going to be the guy who is going to be pushing that that uh, pushing that bar up for himself. Then we've got two younger guys. You've got Cole Custer, who's in his second season and who who did win a race last season and make his way into the playoffs via that uh, that win. And then you've got Chase Briscoe, who is a rookie this season but was tearing up the Xfinity Series last year. Got himself something like seven or eight wins, something ridiculous. So there is a piece that of me that wonders, is it just bringing these younger guys along, sort of the way that Hendrick was doing the past few seasons, trying to bring first Chase Elliott and then uh, Bowman and Byron there, trying to bring them along, trying to help develop them into the racers that maybe they could or eventually will be. I think that's a piece of it. The part that concerns me is those Las Vegas results. Now, it is fair to say that the regular season this year is going to be maybe, we'll use the word stranger than it's been ever in the, uh, going back to the start of this playoff system or any of the playoff systems. Like we said before, we've got seven road courses this year. Six of them, I think, are in the regular season. You've got short tracks. You've got a dirt race at Bristol. You don't necessarily have a, have a lot of those quote-unquote cookie-cutter mile-and-a-half tracks that have a tendency to or have had a tendency to sort of dominate the racing schedule throughout the past, uh, well, since I've been watching at least the past 20 years. So there is a question there. Since you had such a poor showing on the mile-and-a-half from all four of your teams, is this going to be an issue moving forward? And in the regular season, with the way things are, with the quote-unquote stranger schedule, maybe it's not going to be as much of an issue. Maybe you'll be able to find some ways to make your way to the front. Maybe you'll find that speed on those different, the short tracks, the road courses, the uh, the uh, the raceway, the super speedways that you're going to have coming up. In the playoffs, there are going to there's going to be a higher ratio of mile-and-a-half tracks to races. And so even if you do end up getting some of your guys up there into the playoffs, you are going to have a question of, are we going to be challenging for a championship moving into the playoffs? Now, I don't think we can write Kevin Harvick off. I don't think it would be appropriate to do that, especially with the number of race wins he had last year. That said, he did miss the championship four last season, even with, what was it, like nine wins. And so... Just looking at that, I don't know right now that you're saying we've got alarm bells. I do think there is some healthy concern for the near future. Looking into the distant future, you are going to have to ask yourself, are Cole Custer and Chase Briscoe the guys who we are going to be 
basically going to be our franchise guys that we're going to be building our franchise on. When will Kevin Harvick be retiring? Harvick certainly doesn't seem like he's slowing down at all. If anything, that uh, ridiculous season he had in terms of race wins last year, uh, hoping to be challenging for a championship last year and then just missing that championship four. You're probably looking at him being around for a little while longer. And then Eric Almarola. How long is Eric Almarola going to be at Stuart Haas? And will will they feel the need to make a change to try and find someone younger, as has happened at other race teams thus far in the past few years? Looking at you, JGR. Will they be looking to make a change maybe to try and find someone who will help move their program forward? And is that progression going to be possible if you don't have the speed in your cars? Now, it's fair to say that I am not a person who is in the garage at all. Like I said, I'm up here in Minnesota. I'm in a basement, not a garage. (laughs) But there is going to be a question, I think, moving forward here, looking at Atlanta next week, another of these mile and a halfs, looking at the weirdness that we'll be racing on dirt at Bristol, which we will talk about next week looking at uh, Martinsville after that, after the Easter break, and moving forward from there. If you start to see 6, 7, 8, 10, 12 races into the season that you're not having that speed, then I think you start sounding the alarm bells for this year and start asking, what is happening in our garage? What What are we not doing well right now? And what can we do moving forward to try and make our program better? So that is a very long-winded way of saying a thing that I said right at the start of that discussion. I don't think it's time to start sounding alarm bells yet. I do think it is time to start having a little bit of a healthy concern about what is happening moving forward. So that those are my thoughts. Uh, we're going to have plenty of time here over the next however long this podcast continues, hopefully at the very least through the end of this season, to talk about some of my other thoughts and feelings related to different race teams, different races. Like I said, we'll be talking about Bristol here coming up next weekend, or next week rather. But the Atlanta race is coming this coming weekend. Atlanta, as most of you will remember, is the race where the COVID sort of kicked NASCAR out of the track for at least that month and a half there last season. You had teams already on site in Atlanta, and then they were told to go home. Like, get out of here. We're going to try and figure out how to deal with this COVID thing. This coming race in Atlanta, this coming spring, this coming weekend, that is, we're going to have fans allowed in the stands, as we've seen at uh, numerous races already. And we're going to be having, and this is a big thing, big talking point coming up, COVID-sniffing dogs in the garage area this weekend. Personally, I don't have a strong opinion about the COVID-sniffing dogs this coming weekend. Apparently, they work, and if they do work, if they are able to tell people who have COVID, even after there's maybe been a false negative, then all the better for it. Like, I'm all about making sure that people stay safe and that we're, uh, we're like, yeah, people staying safe, people staying safe in the garage, making sure drivers aren't missing races. As we'll remember last year, Jimmy Johnson missed a race, and that's probably the reason he missed out on making the playoffs last year. So we want to make sure that we have drivers who are able to compete in all the races that are possible for them to compete in. We want to make sure that their crews are fully staffed and fully ready to go to make sure that their cars are out there doing the best that they can. And just overall, in terms of health and safety thing, we want to make sure that people are staying healthy and safe. So 
We're going to keep track of whether this becomes a big thing. I've already seen on NASCAR Twitter and some other commentators that this is becoming a talking point. And, uh, and some people are sort of, I think people are already over with COVID in general, but COVID sniffing dogs is maybe pushing people over an edge, over a ledge, over something where they're just seeing this as ridiculous rather than seeing it as hopefully some sort of thing that will help keep drivers and fans safe and crew members and owners and go down the list. Anyone who's going to be at the track this coming weekend. So we'll go ahead and see here what happens at Atlanta. We'll go ahead and discuss that in the coming podcasts, any results that happen, any, any crazy things that might happen, any sort of anything that happens in Atlanta. Maybe we'll take a touch on uh, things going on in Xfinity and trucks, depending on what happens in the races coming up here. And at this point, I'm going to sign off for this first inaugural episode of this podcast. So I will thank you for watching on YouTube, listening on podcast form to Lapping the Field. I have been Eric Beck. I will continue to be Eric Beck as this podcast continues.